Welcome, everybody. My name is Ken Seaton, co-founder of Athletes Touch with Justin Blaine. Welcome to the Tower of Power podcast that we've got coming at you right now. We're an exclusive community helping former pro and college athletes in the business world get ready to rocket fuel your ship, professionally speaking. I'm here. Justin, go ahead and take it away. If you like great stories, sports, and success, you're in the right place. Buckle up and join us for a great ride. An incredible athlete, four-time All-American gymnast in college. She's now a sports commentator that's done it all. Uh, made it to an amazing level, ESPN, CBS, an amazing individual. Can't wait to hear her story. Welcome to Bonnie Bernstein. We'll probably get in a little bit more about your accolades and history, but maybe um, just kind of as a point of reference, how are you handling the COVID stuff and, and give us a sort of a little background of what you're doing to stay sharp right now? I'm doing okay. Thank you for asking. I'm in New York City. So as we all know, it's uh, one of the places that's gotten hit really hard. We're getting hit particularly hard in the outer boroughs in Queens and in the Bronx. Interestingly enough, Manhattan has the fewest number of deaths and the lowest mortality rate. It doesn't minimize anything, certainly, but I do feel kind of fortunate. We're doing the best we can. I think 9-11 was uh, a great preparatory exercise for something like this. We rose above the ashes for that, and we certainly will here. Work-wise, um, as we know, sports, live sports is at a bit of a standstill. So as somebody with an independent production company, I really need to focus on pitching and getting greenlit shows that do not revolve around that. Fortunately, I have a few concepts around which I'm having conversations. Pivoting has been a big part of the conversation across all industries with friends I've been speaking with. And I think one of my biggest takeaways from COVID is that when you are a storyteller, those journalistic skill sets truly have practical applications across all industries. So I have a couple consulting clients where I'm doing content strategy and branding strategy and stuff like that. To this point, they've all been in sports, but I've interestingly enough started having conversations with companies outside of sports because storytelling is storytelling, understanding a company and helping them put a framework around their message. If you know how to ask the right questions, if you know how to do the research, you can do that, what I've learned in any industry. So, you know, I'm in the process of potentially bringing on some more clients, which is really cool just to be able to step outside my comfort level. And um, as somebody who's already had, a, always had a pretty natural curiosity, I just, I love learning about new industries. So that's been really cool. Pretty, pretty amazing stuff. You were a four-time All-American gymnast, and now you're talking about pivoting, which seems like a gymnastic move here. Uh, what, did, what did sports teach you in terms of your career? Well, as somebody who had four knee surgeries, um, I blew out my ACL my very first meet at the University of Maryland for gymnastics my freshman year. I think the intestinal fortitude that we learn as athletes is so essential, especially for somebody like me who has had to try to thrive in a male-dominated business. Honestly, I think everything we learn as athletes, the research proves out time and time again that people who compete at a high level are more successful in business because we learn about teamwork and coachability and accountability and how to overcome obstacles and that intestinal fortitude that I mentioned. So um, interestingly enough, one of the series that I'm working on is a series of profiles about successful women who are competitive athletes. 
And I've done some stuff like this in the past and profiled people like Condoleezza Rice, who, you know, talked about teamwork as national security advisor, dealing and grappling with tough issues in a room. And Gabrielle Union, who is a domestic violence survivor, she was a three sport athlete growing up in Nebraska and constantly channels that toughness. So, you know, I could, I could talk forever about all of the skill sets I developed as an athlete that have been so critical to my professional success. But I think having that, that fixed skin that comes from being an athlete, I put right up at the top. Uh, absolutely. That's kind of sounds like an exciting show. So um, <laughs> we, uh, I just want to just from a history standpoint, just understand a little bit about your pivot when you finished college sports and I don't know what led to that, but then there was this sort of pivot into sort of journalism and maybe what was the spark behind that? I'm not sure I would necessarily constitute it as a pivot. I feel really fortunate that I know a lot of athletes go to college and they're going to compete and they're like, oh, I'll figure out what I'm going to major in at some point when I have to. My situation was totally different. I sort of had this epiphany when I was 12 or 13 years old at the old Shea Stadium in Flushing, New York that I wanted to be a sports journalist. And I was just kind of walking around and I stumbled upon the press box at Shea Stadium and a security guard was nice enough to bring me in. And I watched the Mets take BP. And I, that was at a really young age when I had this aha moment. And so I pretty much geared everything that I was doing, writing for my high school paper, really paying close attention to sports, finding university that not only had a good gymnastics program in Maryland, but also a reputable journalism program, working for the radio station, writing sports for the newspaper, doing two different internships in college. Everything I was doing was specifically geared toward knowing that you know gymnastics is in a sport that has much in the way of professional opportunities that I would need to be making that pivot. So a lot of times people are pivoting and it's unanticipated. You're sort of forced to do that because your back's up against the proverbial wall. In this situation, this was an anticipated pivot. So I was very methodical uh, in planning what that would look like. Interestingly enough, I, I couldn't get a job out of college. I had been a, a sports journalism major at Maryland with the intent of going into broadcasting, but nobody wanted to hire me uh, to do TV. So if there was a pivot, it was that I took a job at a startup country radio station in Delaware, and I was the new sports director. But, you know, being in the country music space, you're like, oh, there might have been a hesitancy if a lot of people were in my position. Like, this isn't, this isn't what my first job looked like in my head. And what I needed to quickly realize is that every opportunity is what we choose to make of it. So no, it wasn't the ideal job. But in terms of how I maximize the opportunity, I was like, okay, I'm doing these updates sports updates on the bottom of the hour, news on the top of the hour, I'm gonna put myself on deadline. So rather than just you know regurgitating the same reports, I would force myself to write new reports and work on my deadline writing skills. And then I would make the rest of my day when I got off the air from six to nine, a little competition. Like I'd get in the big white van with the cowboy boot on it and see how many different stories I could go out and cover during the course of the day. So I channeled my inner athlete and made my day a competition. And ultimately it wound up being a phenomenal decision to take this job 
but only because I was really mindful about how I was going to make the most of the opportunity. I think that's so powerful, Bonnie, to say that you actually embraced exactly the sort of the challenge you were put in and made it, made yeah. it the best thing that it is. The other thing that, that uh, you just said that I thought was pretty powerful was like at a very young age, you were like, I'm going to be this. And I guess, how does that work? You didn't have any limits on yourself. Like what, what was going on? Well, I didn't put any limits on myself, but I also had very few role models. And so I was in this weird position where I, I remember even having conversations with my dad and my parents were the inspiration for me getting into sports because, I mean, I'm old enough uh, where when I was growing up, there was no such thing as a remote control. And so if I dared try to like go up to the TV and switch the channel off the Mets game or the Giants game, I would get you know, I would get scolded. So I basically watch what my parents watch and I fell in love with sports. But, you know, even talking to my dad when I was young and I told him what I wanted to do and he's like, you know, there's not a lot of women. And it was just never a deterrent. I don't know why. I think that may be an innate characteristic that if you're truly passionate about something and you're committed to doing whatever it is that you need to do to get to the place you want to be, that helps build the confidence that's so critical in success. So I think a lot of women, when I, girls, when I was growing up, if they had interest in doing that, and I've talked to a lot of people who feel that same way, like, oh, I would have loved to go into sports, but they're just, there weren't a lot of women. And that was enough deterrent to go in a different direction. That was never a deterrent for me. And I think because I love sports and also because I was an athlete. So that level of relatability, even though I didn't play football or basketball per se, that level of relatability, knowing psychologically and emotionally what we go through as competitive athletes was always really helpful because when I would cover athletes, it just, it clicked for me and it was easy to have those conversations. Yeah, you mentioned a couple of things and I, I wonder how they sort of work together. One, you said, you know, a lot of people ask you for advice. How do you I think I saw an interview with Cam Rogers and he was saying how hardworking he was. And he just, the hard work sounds like you believe in that. Is that true or no? Or is it just kind of easy for you? I asked my mom, I don't know, maybe a few months ago, maybe a year ago, because somebody asked me, do you have fun? And so I asked my mom, I was like, mom, did I have fun as a kid? <laughs> and she goes, you were so uniquely focused from day one. And so for me, I know that's part of who I am and it's really what's always driven me. So when I give advice to people about the value of work, I think some people can develop a work ethic, but the most important, the most successful people, I think have the ability to channel that from day one. And you, you know, it, it's interesting as I'm, I wonder about the kind of work that you do on the research side. You mentioned storytelling, mm -hmm. which you've got this incredible career of telling stories. When, when did you start realizing how important storytelling was and then the kind of work that you did to find the story? Like, can you kind of share some of that with us? Well, there, there are different ways you can tell stories, right? You can do a very superficial, just presenting the facts, or you can do the deeper dive. And for me, because I've always had a natural curiosity that, interest in doing the deeper dive has been omnipresent. So even, you know, as, as we sit here and I'll try to navigate coronavirus, 
sometimes I'll read articles and there are missing pieces. Like if I have to ask why, to me, it's not a complete article. And that's part of my process through storytelling. My goal every time I'm telling a story is for the most informed person consuming that to say, huh, I didn't know that. Because if you can reach that person who knows more probably than you do, especially as somebody who, you know, working at CBS and ESPN, we're national. So that's what I focus on when I'm thinking. Um, and it's really helped me build out a framework when it comes to my process for storytelling. That's awesome. And then you, it sounds like you've now looked at the concept of storytelling and have been able to see the threads of how it applies to business. Maybe talk a little bit about when that epiphany moment happened and the confidence level of like, I'm going to actually help businesses as well. Yeah. Well, so one of my friends is a financial advisor for high net worth folks and, and people who have multi-generational family businesses. And I was just talking to him one day. He's truly, when he asks, how can I help? He really means it. And I was like, well, you know, I, I don't know. And he's like, what are your strongest skill set. So I talked about storytelling and research and my ability to connect really well with people and just how I enjoy learning. And he actually brought the idea to me. He's like, you know, I've got all of these businesses um, and whether they are fully formed and successful or whether they're startups, he's like, I, I think one of the biggest misses is in a company's ability to express the message through their story. Every successful business has a great story behind it, but how you express that and share that and incorporate that into your marketing PR strategy is really important. And so he actually threw out the idea. He's on um, the economic development board for the area, the region where he lives in, and he started making introductions. And, you know, I, I just think there's value in every conversation. It may not lead to anything immediately. It may be sort of a, a longer tail proposition, but you just never know who you're going to click with and where opportunities come from from there. So um, I've had some really interesting conversations in industries that have nothing to do with sports because, you know, I, I know how to tell stories and I know how to research industries and, and ask the right questions. Welcome to the intermission. Kit, who's this group for? Is it for Super Bowl champs? Check. How about cross-country skiers? Check. How about Olympic synchronized swimmers? Triple check. So it sounds like anybody who has an athlete's mindset or mentality could qualify here. Quadruple check, Justin. This group is a rocket fuel powered community for former athletes to use their state of mind to succeed in the sport of business. Love it. Love it. All right, we're going to take kind of a, we're going to go back in time a little bit now. Um, first <laughs> up, just, who, who was your favorite person to work with side by side? Who did you just really oh. love to be around from a sport? I, it may be hard, but pick one. Pick one. Oh my goodness. So let's go with Jim Nance, who is as genuinely nice as he seems. Hello, friends is not just something he says on the air. He says it all the time. And when I got to CBS, you know, it was, it was challenging for me. And one of my biggest misses, I try not to have any regrets in life, but 
you know, if, if I look at anything, one of my biggest misses, because there was such a huge age gap between me being hired as talent and management and leadership, I never understood the value of relationships. But for some reason, I just developed this great brother-sister relationship with Jim. And so even though I was 28 when CBS hired me and I was the youngest person on air at the network, he was always my cushion. I felt like I could talk to him about everything. Um, I was the only woman on our crew a lot of times and he never made me feel out of place. Uh, I won't get too much into the politics of CBS, but there were times when there were social gatherings and I wasn't invited where he would make sure that I was. And those sorts of little things are meaningful when you're really just, at the time, I was really just focused on finding my way. I didn't want to screw it up. I was so young and so thankful for the opportunity that, you know, I didn't have a lot of mentors to lean on. I didn't have a lot of role models to look toward. And so Jim was always such a great resource for me and a source of comfort at a time where, you know, finding my comfort zone hadn't really been achieved yet. That's awesome. Some of the, the great sports, you know, games, so to speak, that you've been involved with, obviously, there are a lot. But what was the one where there was just an energy that you've never seen before? And, and take us through it a little bit. And how did it unfold? I would have to say there were probably, if I had to choose my three favorite games of all time to ever cover, the first would have been the, I want to say, 2001 Super Bowl between the Giants and the Ravens because I'd never covered a Super Bowl before. It was a goal of mine. The Giants were my team growing up. I was on the Giants sideline and it was just a dream come true. So that was, I think, because of a first thing. The second would be the 2002 NCAA Men's Basketball Championship where Maryland beat Indiana because that was my alma mater. And I just, by the way, the schedule kind of fell into place. I covered every single one of Maryland's games throughout the tournament. And the access that Gary Williams, who was the coach at the time, just being a Terp, I got great access. I got to go to practices. I sat in on a film session. I was completely not biased on the air. In fact, a lot of people said that they would never know that I went to Maryland because I was just very mindful of not wanting to be considered a homer. But when I'm going to say we, because I'm going to take myself out of the journalist space and put myself in the fan space. But when we won and Jim Nance and Billy Packer were interviewing Gary Williams on the court and he had his grandson in his arms, I just, I remember looking up at the ceiling to try not to cry because when I went to school at Maryland, I always affectionately call it the dark days of Maryland basketball. For those of you who are old enough to remember Len Bias, who ultimately might have gone on to be one of the greatest NBA players of all time. Unfortunately, was drafted number one by the Celtics out of Maryland. And on the day he was drafted, he overdosed on cocaine. And uh, I didn't realize, even when I was being recruited by Maryland, the long lasting impact of that sort of devastation on not just the athletic department, but on the entire university. So there was sort of this cloud of darkness and then our, our basketball coach got nailed for NCAA violations. So the basketball program was in a really tough place when I was in school. So to see the program come from there to 
you know, standing on a podium watching one shining moment um, was pretty amazing. The, the third, real quickly, was the Army-Navy game after 9-11. It, it was a difficult period for our country. Obviously, my crew had actually gotten pulled off. We got pulled off Pat's Dolphins to do Army-Navy. And I had the chance to interview President Bush and Norman Schwarzkopf. And it was, it was a pretty amazing day. But just seeing, I've never been in a situation where I felt that level of cumulative patriotism, where it gives you chills and such a great appreciation for the men and women who make so many sacrifices on a daily basis. And, and, and all of these football players were going to go off and serve in the military in some capacity. So um, those probably would be the top three. Amazing. And, and so in, in terms of uh, some of this, the stuff that you've covered, any, uh, how's the sort of the, the change in sports at all? I mean, from the commentating side to just sport, have you seen, what, what, what have you seen in, in your opinion? Or is it kind of the same? Well, technology's changed a lot. So there are a lot more bells and whistles. I think we often joke that um, there were commercials and promos and graphics and a game broke out. There's broadcasts are a lot busier uh, in 2020 than they were back when I first started. The capacity to embrace women has gotten a lot better. Um, the fact that we have a few women doing play-by-play -play now, and you know, you're always going to have people who don't think women have any business covering sports they didn't play. I get that. You're never going to be all things to all people. But in general, I think there is a greater willingness to put women in positions where we weren't customarily used to seeing them when I started out. And, and I don't mean that just as broadcasters, but you know, the fact that we now have female coaches in football, female officials, the, um, one of the Bills' uh, primary owners is a woman. So it's nice to see progress on those fronts. Um, and technology has not just changed what we're seeing in game, but the way we present the news and social media has totally changed our priorities because it used to be, you know, before Wi-Fi and before Twitter, that if you were going to break a story, it was going to be during a broadcast or it was going to be during SportsCenter. It was going to be in a newspaper. So there was a lag time before there was mass consumption. Now the priority is if you've got a story well sourced and you're going to break it, you put it on Twitter first and then you blog about it and then maybe it makes SportsCenter. In terms of how we prioritize the way we share news has changed pretty substantially because of technology and social. Absolutely. All right, we got, we got time for one more question. We're going to give it to Mr. Chad Eichten. Well, thanks, Bonnie. No, this has uh, been awesome. A lot of nuggets to take from uh, your story. Uh, one thing that stuck out to me was uh, how you were talking about being curious. And I think that's very relatable to uh, what a lot of us do in the fact-finding phase uh, with our clients, with relationships, et cetera. My question is, knowing you guys are under such a microscope with your perspective, how do you find that balance, especially if it's someone that you don't know and you're having a conversation and you're trying to deep dive but you can see it getting a little bit sideways, but you got to try to bring it back. And then how, how do you find that balance of knowing, okay, yes, I can ask that question, or maybe I shouldn't ask that question, or well, I already asked that question, so this can get a, lot, a little awkward here. How do you find that balance in, uh, in, in being curious? 
That's an awesome question, Chad. And it's something that I've worked really hard on actually over the years and have evolved in a really meaningful way. So there are a couple of ways you can handle that. As a journalist, the way I process and the way I determine what questions I'm gonna ask has everything to do with me serving as the voice of the fan. I'm asking what fans don't have the ability to ask because they don't have microphones and they don't have access. So I've never shied away from asking the tough questions. What I do try to do, and I think this is valuable in any industry, is be very thoughtful about how I ask the questions. Make sure I'm not making a statement that sounds like I'm interrogating and truly asking a question. And not just asking a question, but asking an open-minded question. And that's a really nuanced thing because it's very easy to ask a question that just um, you know, elicits yes a yes or no, no response. Yeah. You know? But if you ask an open-ended question that just shows you're curious, then that basically opens up the floor for the person to answer however they want. The other thing is the power of your facial expressions and your body language when you're asking a question. I can present a question in a way that says to me, I'm not trying to get on your case. I'm just asking because I hope you understand it's my job. You can hear it in the inflection in my voice, the command in my voice, and you can see it in my eyes. And it's so much more disarming than you might realize if I'm just articulating it to you, but it really works. The listening piece is really important too, because I'll do, I'll do a ton of prep work and I'll typically have like a whole pad full of questions for somebody. But so many times, if you just listen, those follow-ups yield even more impactful answers. A lot of times, so what I've learned is what resonates most with consumers are anecdotes. When you're sharing stories and giving color rather than just giving very basic answers. I think we sort of have a general propensity to just answer in generalities. And when you ask people to provide that color and give them the open forum to do that, it's pretty amazing what you can get out of them. But that was a question that was never on your pad in the first place. It was just a follow-up that came from being a great listener. So those are my tips. We thought this was a great interview. So thank you again for, for doing this for us. Maybe we could have you, when this all ends, come back again. Everybody's kind of applauding. So thank you so much. Great job, Bonnie. Thank you. thank you for having me, guys. Good luck with everything. Sounds great, Bonnie. Appreciate okay. you. Have a, have a good day. day. You too. Bye. Another great story in the books. Who's inspired with me? Kent, where do people go from here? God, Justin, I'm so glad you asked me that question. Everybody today, we're so excited to have you on this show. If you're interested in our Rocket Fuel Accelerator, if you'd like to join membership at Athletes Touch, go to our awesome website at www.athletestouch.co and we'll see you soon. If you want to look us up on our social handles, LinkedIn and Twitter, Athletes Touch, at Athletes Touch. Thanks, guys.